My name is Victor Kubik. Welcome to another episode of The Kubik Report. With me again is Andy Lee, who has been a regular on this podcast. Anytime Andy comes to visit us, I always rope him into a podcast. It's the price of admission, Jack. <laughs> and I said, would you like to do one again tonight? And uh, he's always very willing. <laughs> so I appreciate that very much. He's spoken to us and contributed his thoughts on a number of subjects that uh, I found to be very enlightening. One was about truth itself, but pos uh, about uh, finances. He is a partner at Ernst & Young and is very knowledgeable on finances. He's worked in Europe. He's been stationed in Warsaw, in Poland, and also in Switzerland. So anyway, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rick. Always good to be with you. Always great to have Andy with us. As I said, he's been a longtime friend. I've known his family for many, many years. So what we want to talk about today is the consumption of information. And I didn't know exactly how to define it or how to express it, but you know we consume information all the time. And whether we read or whether we view or whether we listen, we consume information and we have our favorite way in which we absorb knowledge. And we'll talk about it from two different ways of looking at it. First of all, the technical side of it is just how it's evolved to what we actually do. And as we all know, there's been huge changes in my lifetime, in our lifetimes, from the way information is disseminated, to also talking about how this has affected the types of information and the way that people become convinced or communicated to. So that's what we'll be talking about today. Because Andy and I have talked about how we communicate with our generation and how we express ourselves and the tools that we use. Now, first of all, I'll start with what, how I consume information and how that has evolved. From the time we were very young, we've had newspapers. We had a newspaper oftentimes delivered to our front yard. I grew up in a family that was quite poor, so we didn't have it. Sometimes we'd go with a nickel and buy a newspaper down at the end. <laughs> but I'd always like to buy a newspaper so I could get the baseball scores and RBIs and other other information about baseball players. We've had magazines. One magazine that we have had was Life magazine in our home. And also, when I was a little boy, when I was in second grade, my father gave me a subscription to the National Geographic magazine. And do you know that I still have that subscription to this day? <laughs> the only, only years that I did not get the National Geographic magazine was when I was in college and was not able to financially able to uh, afford the National Geographic magazine. But I know that that particular magazine, it was a forethought of my dad who wanted us to know the world and know geography and know other people. I, he, he was very, very farsighted in the way he had that brought upon us. He made sure that we would get that magazine, that the whole family would look at it. That's back when it was still not even full color. <laughs> a lot of black and white at that time. But also there's television. We, we watch the news. I remember family, we sat down at 5, 5.30, watched Walter Cronkite, and we had the news. We had one newscaster, and then NBC had their Huntley Brinkley, and it was the authority. The, they were the two new, newsmen. So anyway, I'm talking quite a bit here about my absorption of 
knowledge. And I'd like to have Andy talk about, from his generation, how he receiving information, what media is used, and how it's affected him. So this uh, makes sense? Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And I've probably gone through some of the similar things that you have. So I was born in 1966, just on the, I guess, the final fringes of the baby boomers or the very, I think some have called us the tweeners because we were a little too late for the baby boom, a little too early for, I guess, Gen X that came next. So I'm kind of that misfit group for a few years right there in the middle. So I, I remember the same thing. I remember growing up with a newspaper subscription coming to the house. I, of course, turned to the comics and then the sports page, <laughs> most reliably. Um, and then uh, the subscription we had to U.S. News and World Report. Oh, yes. That came, came every week. And so I still remember flipping through it. And probably my formative years where I got real interested in current events and things were in the Jimmy Carter years, I can remember what it felt like when the prime interest rate was at like 17%. Mm-hmm. I was probably a 12-year-old or so then and how it felt when Reagan got elected and, and things changed. I still remember sitting back there in my living room reading U.S. News and World Report then as a, I guess, late junior high or high school student and seeing the economic statistics start to turn around and just seeing how all of those pieces came together was really interesting to me. So I uh, grew up very much in those analog days. was actually just thinking back the other day, too. My mom was real big on memorization. And mm-hmm. I can still remember like going to show and tell in elementary school, having been given a, a poem to memorize, <laughs> memorizing the 23rd Psalm, remember, memorizing other Bible passages. And so my mom was really big on taking in information that way, memorizing things, developing a memory, which I think has served me well over the years. Until I until my smartphone turned me into a dumb guy, <laughs> I, I could remember most of my clients' telephone numbers without having to look them up and just kind of got used to memorizing information. I'd say I probably memorize less now. I, I, I remember things that I'm focused on and interested in mm-hmm. um, and other things kind of just kind of just just drop through the sieve. But if, if I look at how it is that I consume information today, um, I was a fairly early adopter uh, on electronic books. I had a Sony e-reader back when those came out, probably 15, 17 years ago. I was living in Europe at the time. I was traveling a lot. And I loved the fact that on one small lightweight device, I could have a whole library of books um, and have those at my fingertips. And after that, it was an iPad. So um, I very, very, very rarely read a hard copy book. If it's not available um, in Kindle, then I'll maybe get the hardcover book, but it's very unusual that I'll pick up any sort of a hardcover book. So pretty much everything I read, if it's a book, um, it's off a Kindle app on my iPad. Um, In terms of regular uh, daily news, I remember we had a newspaper subscription probably seven, eight years ago. We got to the point where it would show up at the door and we'd end up just throwing it away at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, So we canceled that. I've got a, a subscription to The Economist Honestly, when the hard copy magazine shows up, I put it in the recycle bin. I Mm. read it entirely online. In fact, what I love and probably what I consume the most in terms of um, news and information is things that are pushed to me that I've subscribed to. Um, The Economist being probably the top one. Um, And what I love is they they send a daily roundup that has uh, summary articles and then it has links to their longer form articles that you get on their subscription site. And it's a rare day that I don't read at least one article, if not a couple of articles off The Economist uh, mm-hmm. through that. And then I, I subscribed to some other um, news sources as well. 
I read National Review. Um, I find their viewpoint interesting. Another group called The Dispatch, which also sends daily roundups. Uh, and so I'll, I'll read a lot of their information as well. Mm-hmm. You know, people still talk about what's your reading list. And it kind of scares me because I don't have a <laughs> <laughs> reading list you know, of books. So what books have you read lately? And I have, uh, when I see certain books that people talk about or that's in the news, I'll try to find a way to to somehow get that information. And there's, it, it, we, we find that uh, since we've traveled sometimes in the car, we've used Audible to, to listen to an entire book. And it, even though it says it's 10 hours, but if you take several trips, yeah. you know, you could actually hear an entire book and it really is, is comes in quite well into the brain, at least that's yeah. the way I feel. And also I have a subscription to the Washington Times, which comes at, like 5.45 in the morning. And uh, the reason for that is because the faith and family reporter for it is a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, he sometimes asks me how I feel about the articles. And you know he often posts his things on, on, on LinkedIn. And, and I have really appreciated reading it because I know the, the person and also yeah. the other people that do the international news from that. And there are so many different things to read right now that, I mean, you mentioned about The Economist and I love it when I can get an article from The Economist or when somebody passes me one along that I can kind of read for free yeah. or whatever. But I know that they have tremendous insight, uh, world worldwide insight into subjects. Yeah, yeah. And I found um, the things that get pushed to me are what I read the most because mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm on the go a lot. Um, and so it's rare. I've got a Wall Street Journal subscription. It's rare that I actually go out to the Wall Street Journal, even the electronic version, to read it. Mm-hmm. But things that come into my inbox, I will read. The other one that I forgot to mention before is a group that used to be called Stratfor. Um, they're a geopolitical strategy group. Uh, got acquired by a group called Rain R-A-N-E. And they send out, as well, daily short-form articles as things are happening as well as pretty sophisticated, like ex-CIA type of um, geopolitical strategic analysis. Um, That's really interesting to read, especially with many of the things going on right now with China and Russia and so Mm -hmm. forth. But um, to distill that down, I'd say in terms of me, I tend to um, select news sources that I like to have pushed to me, Mm -hmm. where I have a choice then to look at what's there. And then I'll click through and read the detail on the things that interest me or that I find compelling. The last one, which I think I, I sent you a link to, is a daily newsletter called The Hustle. The Hustle, yeah. <laughs> I subscribe to it and I, I I get there sort of off the wall. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of a new media geared towards people who are trying to get side hustles going. Uh-huh. And they always have interesting offbeat kind mm-hmm. of articles about slightly odd and zany tech oriented startup oriented things well that one that you sent me was about uh, religion that's right <laughs> i forget exactly what it was but it was about i think uh, it was about you version or monet uh, how- yeah monetizing yeah the, uh, the version and and actually shortly after i saw that now when i go to you version i get all these ads <laughs> <laughs> now, now you know how it works they had a great one. They do long form journalism every Sunday. And this last week it was about Hot Wheel collectors. Mm-hmm. And it, it did, a, it did. they went through and they talked about the economics of collecting Hot Wheels and how a bunch of guys these days in their early 60s, late 50s are spending tons of money. There was one guy who's got a $1.5 million Hot Wheel car collection. 
and <laughs> spends his time trying to track down the latest rare cars. And then you get all excited about that, and then you kind of leave everything else in the yeah. world. <laughs> I think a lot of it is just uh, being able to take your mind off of real big problems yeah. and, and, and to read other things. But I do uh, also notice that there's new forms of journalism, even within the push. And uh, I have several pushes coming at me. One is Axios, Mike Allen. Mm -hmm. And he oftentimes appears as, as a guest on different television programs. But I think he was part of Politico or, or whatever. Anyway, he writes in a style that is quite different. In fact, I've seen other newsletters copy his style. And he has a book out called Smart Brevity, which, hmm. which I got. Actually, it is an amazing way to communicate information because his articles, he says, this can be read in two to three minutes. So this is three to four minutes. He even says how long it'll be and you kind of get hooked by the topic and also that you're not gonna be having to wade through a lot of dense text. Uh, on it. And I found it to be very useful, but he knows and he's successful because he writes in a style where he has a headline, a couple bullet points, you kind of know that, another more bolded headline, and you kind of work your way through that. And it's, it's a great way to get knowledge to people whose minds are seared because of just all, all the different stimuli yeah. <laughs> that, that our minds have. I think that's the biggest thing these days is there's so much available and even so much coming at us, you know, just managing your inbox on, on I know in my personal email between deleting the spam and deciding which of the push, push articles I really want to go to or not just managing my email down to a manageable size every couple of days. If I don't look at it, it just balloons. Mm -hmm. So I think to me, whether we like it or not, I think that form of communication um, is here to stay. And I think it's it's actually interesting to think about because you know we grew up in this analog sort of a world, and we, you 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 wade through information and you pull out of it in the end what you distill from it. And today, um, I think the, the way people are more interested in taking in information is give me those short bullets, like you said, and give me a link to click down into what I'm interested in knowing more about. Mm -hmm. And so rather than flipping pages in the newspaper, reading through articles to see if there's anything actually interesting in there after scanning the headlines, you can get these short bullets that get you started and you decide, no, not interested in that, not interested in that. Oh, that one sounds interesting and click through. And then I, I think even today, I think a lot of people have this idea that people don't want to read much, but I think it's just that they're being more selective, mm -hmm. maybe about what it is they're, that they're willing to read. Um, and probably consuming more video content than, mm -hmm. than written content as well. So what do you think about video content versus, uh, well, I'll, I consider internet not really necessarily video if you read text. Uh, what Do you think there's been more on just watching video? I, I kind of wonder. I think, yeah, with the explosion of podcasts over the last, whatever, five, seven years, between that and um, and video on YouTube, I think there's a lot out there and, and I think a lot of communication is heading that direction. Mm -hmm. And certainly with the visuals, the impressions that you can make on people with visual, um, I think is a lot more um, lasting and powerful mm -hmm. maybe. But what's interesting to me as well is a lot of these YouTubes, YouTubers are just, you know, folks like what we're doing right now, <laughs> just sitting in a chair in a room in front of a mic and if they have compelling content mm -hmm. that interests people, mm -hmm people are willing to go back there and consume it. 
Well, I like doing podcasts. I like doing podcasts because I like the medium. I like talking to people. I'm a friendly guy, you know, and, and just being able to draw from them what's on their mind and, and where, they're, where, where they're at. And I find that different people relate to different kinds of medium. So you can have a podcast, you can have a blog, you'll be reaching to different audiences. Mm -hmm. And uh, I find that to be a very interesting thing. I, I'm a boomer, you know, about the, probably the last of the boomers are getting up there. Actually, I saw a sign that my age was sort of the end of the boomers, and that's where they started talking about these kinds of people. And you're, what, X? Right at the be end of the boomers, beginning of Gen X. Okay. Yeah. And, and then, of course, we have, ahead of us, we've got the Ys, which is the Millennials, and the Zs, which is another animal you know, arising from us. I find what's been a real interesting phenomenon in my life is that I began to consume information from a style that had been around for hundreds of years, the printed word. And then I really started watching television just shortly after it was invented, you know, <laughs> after, you know in the 50s. Well, well, it was invented before that, but that's the first TV programs came yeah. out. And then I've kind of been thrust through this whole process of to where we're at right now. From where you see now and the changes, of course, I have seen more changes in the standpoint of where it came from and where it's going. Where do you see this leading as far as the Y's and the Z's of how they get information. Are you concerned that they have big gaps in, in their thinking because they don't get certain things or a lot of things are lost because there's so much stuff out there? Any comments? Yeah, a couple comments. I, mean, I think what's great is that for people who want to be well-informed, there is so much information out there and available that if you have a real genuine interest in doing it, you can get as deep in a subject as you want to. And I think that's really, really good. And I think the people who spend the time and have the interest in doing that are able to get a level of expertise on things that would have taken many times, you know, that amount of effort 10, 15, 20 years ago. And I think that's fantastic. I think the challenge is that for people who aren't interested or don't learn how to apply themselves into digging down deeper through information getting different viewpoints and sifting through them. I think the, the downside of it that I worry about is this critical thinking mm -hmm. element. Um, because, and this is like what you and I have talked about previously, I think the question that remains to be answered is, we, we believe because of our experience that learning in sort of an analog kind of a way, you learn how to think critically by sifting through a bunch of information and thinking through it. And so we, assume that that is the way the human brain has to learn. Mm -hmm. I happen to think that's the case. I'm not an expert on, on the psychology of learning, but from my experience, it's certainly the way it works. I think the big question mark that's out there for upcoming generations is, can you learn to think critically without digging through all of the detail, thinking through it, comparing it, and so forth? And can you learn critical thinking when you have things coming at you in short bites, catchy headlines, clickbait, and so forth. Mm -hmm. I think the jury's still out on that. I'm personally not super confident that we're developing higher levels of critical thinking these days mm -hmm. compared to a generation ago, but I'm open to the, the idea that it could emerge in the way that people end up. I think that the human mind has been built to want to know about itself. 
a child just gets, you know, you see the big eyes and they want to, what is this world around them? It's the different ways in which stuff comes in, in, into their brain, but there is a desire to learn a lot of things that are out there that people actually say, I don't want to mess with it. Yeah. <laughs> they will take some kind of interest. And it's interesting too, the control of information. In the Soviet Union, when I traveled there the first time, there were only two newspapers mm -hmm. in the whole country. One was called Pravda, which means truth, and the other one was Izvestia, which means news. Neither was, <laughs> one was not the truth, one was not uh, the, the news. Information was greatly controlled and people didn't get the truth. Now, you go to the Soviet Union, people think that there's a lot of restriction on, on the news from the West. No, they get CNN, they, they, they get all they can on the internet, they can get everything that we do. They can get hundreds, literally, of sources of information. Mm -hmm. But people, do they still get the truth. They're almost no better off as far as having an understanding of the environment of the world, little or no information, as to have be overwhelmed with a lot of information. Yeah, I think that's the challenge now is how do you sift through it? And then how do you trust the people who are aggregating information for you? Mm -hmm. Because let's face it, whether we're going and doing a Google search, if you're using DuckDuckGo, if you're using whatever search engine you're going to use to try to get around the big algorithm in the sky, if you believe it's out there, somebody is gathering that information on your behalf. Um, it's very hard to do pure original research on your on your own unless you're going through finding certain websites and then following the links that they have. And so I think a lot now lies in the hands of who's aggregating the information you consume and how intellectually interested you are in testing those underlying assumptions mm -hmm. versus just you know taking what comes and, and, and going with it. If you were to give advice, if you had a group of high schoolers that you were, were to go and talk to, and they ask you the question, what's the best way for me to gain information? Because it's a question that we asked when I went to college, was Ambassador College. And everybody was expected to get US News and World Report <laughs> because part of our belief structure was to watch world news. Yep. And so what better source than US News and World Report? I mean, all, when, when it came, which it came every week, there were all mailboxes <laughs> in the same magazine. So there was a consistency and actually, there was a certain healthiness about that because we could talk about what was in the news that week. And they usually had an article about life, an article about happiness, an article about this, also about actual hard news about things that were happening. But what would you do to uh, talk to students who might be going on to college about how to be properly informed? What kind of advice would you give them, Andy? Yeah, I mean, probably at the center of it would be to is variety, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we touched on this, I think, a bit the last time we talked is is just having a variety of sources that come from different ideological viewpoints, different aggregators of content, um, different if influencers, if you're going that route, um, but have a variety of information from different places. So you're getting multiple views of, of any given topic. I think mm -hmm. that's probably the best thing that you can do to try to get at the heart of the matter and make sure that you understand who's behind the news that you're getting, how well qualified, informed are they really to, to be providing what they are. Um, the variety and getting as many sides of a story as possible is really the key. 
Well, I know that we live in a time when, when media has shifted from paper, a daily newspaper, to the types of things that, that we have now. People have felt like there's less information but or, or less quality information. But it's a matter of being proactive in just what you choose to read. A lot of times before, you didn't have a choice of what to read. We had the St. Paul Pioneer Press. <laughs> Check out in the morning, and I knew what section to turn to, you know, for the things that I that I wanted. Now we have so many things, and really the internet has become my number one source. Mm -hmm. Number one source for news consumption and reading. And even though I get several magazines, I get some nice magazines. I get Smithsonian, and I get Ar Biblical Ar Archaeological Review, and everything, but I kind of scan through them. I don't really look at them. Even I even get National Geographic magazine, but I look at the pictures. You know? <laughs> well, you can't possibly read every word what yeah. you have, but I find those things to be intriguing. So I think that we need to tell our young people to be disciplined about the types of things that they get and not get, you know, just a lot of junky subscriptions of things that really don't advance the mind, but to get those things that help you, as you said, think critically. Yeah. No, I think that remains true is, is guarding what it is that comes into our mind. I think probably my biggest concern when I look out there now is that there's so much entertainment content and the brain loves to be entertained and working at something and trying to figure something out or reading more difficult material is not always as fun as just consuming five more TikTok videos. Mm -hmm. and, and I think having some level of whatever we want to call it, discipline, building good habits, being cognizant of what we're taking into our minds and, and dedicating ourselves to not just being entertained, but educating ourselves, uh, giving our uh, brains some more substance to think on, to speak from, to, to consider in terms of ideas and, and what's happening in the world. And um, I think those things and, and continuing to feed our, our minds with good information like that and not just seeking to be entertained is probably at the core of it. And also from the standpoint of the other position of the ones who are doing the proclamation, you might say, or the dissemination of information, they will have to look very closely to see that what they're writing, its length, its, its focus, its media, that it will actually be read. Otherwise, it'll be out of business. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they could produce a magazine that's dense and it would just plain won't be read. That'll be its own condemnation, so to speak. Try to find ways in which your information will, will go out. Like I said, companies like Axios, that's, I just mentioned them because I see what they've done and I've heard their founder talk about the way that they write smart brevity, that they really want to be able to get into people's heads. Yep. And that's gonna be something that we'll, on our end, have to do with the types of videos that we produce. I don't know if long form video really works long term, but there has to be ways in which we can get into people's minds. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, that's something we have to continue to modify. And, you know, people who've carried God's word over the years have, have grappled with the same thing. You know, Paul famously went to Mars Hill and contended with the philosophers there. And he did mm -hmm. it using examples and methods of discussion that were common to the world at that time, as well as when he traveled from city to city and went to the synagogues, because mm -hmm. that's where discourse and de debate was was happening um, and, and in other public places. Printing press was a, a groundbreaking invention and the Gutenberg Bible was one of the early, really big breakthroughs, bringing printing and actually being able to distribute Bibles. So, you know, God's word has never been far from breakthroughs in communication. 
radio and television, same thing. We've got plenty of history of our own that we look back to and in, in, in powerful use of media to preach God's word. And I think the challenge now is that we can't remain static um, in methods that have been used in the past. We have to continue to look to where media and the consumption of information is moving and we have to move there with it. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that to me is as well as we have to differentiate between the subject matter that we're preaching, which does not change, and the method of preaching it, which must change on a regular basis so it stays contemporary. And one thing, Andy, that I have really found this kind of coming to my mind right now that I actually use every day is uh, newsletters that come to me every day. I have a couple consultant newsletters, one from Kerry um, Newhoff. He produces a newsletter every day. Hmm. I've got 3,000 of his <laughs> newsletters, but they talk about things that could be useful to your ministry. Uh, they talk about how, how to use methods. It has nothing to do really much with doctrine or, or that type of thing, but it's methodology in our time. How to use video, how to use streaming, how to use all these other ways, the types of subjects to talk about, how to have hybrid situations. There are so many things that are useful that way, but I find that I get his newsletter and I get another one that I won't identify <laughs> that I find also very helpful in my morning study mm-hmm. about subjects that are very helpful personally. So I'm just saying is that uh, there, there are ways, talking more to the group who would be promoting these things, there are things that are very successfully done by others that we could learn from. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think especially like you've talked about, same thing I've experienced, I think some way to continue to find to, to do more daily push mm-hmm. uh, information with links that click down. There's a lot that can be done with that. And I think a lot of people would subscribe. I subscribe to several services that have di- different biblically oriented content daily. And I receive those and, and I read them pretty consistently mm-hmm. every day uh, as well. And I found too that in the way it comes across, I like the spacing of the lines. I like the white space around. I like the colors. I find all these things, they really do contribute instead of having yep. densely in, you know, from screen to <laughs> edge to edge, I wouldn't read it. And right now right. we have to make these things appealing. Well, Andy, it's just been really great talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts. Yeah, good talking with you as well. Good catching up as always. Okay. Well, I wish you the very, the very best on your visit here to Cincinnati. Thanks very much. We thank you, our listeners, for joining us here today for The Cubic Report. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Podbean, which includes information about this podcast, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, Pocketcaster, and other podcasting platforms. You can easily find us on any browser address bar by simply typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your impressions and suggestions. So write to us at vcubic at gmail.com, v-k-u-b-i-k at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.